says, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. David's telling us to give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. We go from jumping in the water to the beauty of his holiness. The God of glory unthundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. What is his voice? His voice is his word. His voice is his spirit. His voice is articulated through your worship. So lift up holy hands. Let's just worship him. Father, we magnify you and we lift you up. We bless your name in the beauty of holiness. That which the Lord Jesus did over 2,000 years ago. We thank you and we magnify you. You give us beauty for ashes. You are the ancient of days. Jesus, you are the darling of heaven, the soon coming king, the prince of peace. And we magnify and worship you. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this day, for this is the day that you've made. And we yield ourselves right now to your spirit, which is ever present. The soldiers have gone forward and set the stage greatly, Father, by praise and worship and prayer. So we just invite you to continue to do what you do, Holy Spirit, up and down, every aisle, in and out, every row. Minister to the hearts of your people. Use my tongue as that of the pen of a ready writer, writing on the tablets of the hearts of your people, the indelible word of God, and the message that, we, that you would have encrypted, specific to each individual. I pray that the people at the end do not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Father, I thank you for the crop, the harvest that will be yielded as a result of your word going forth. It will be sown on good ground in the hearts of your people, yielding 30, 60, and even 100 fold. And no one here will leave here the same, but instead they'll leave here wet, Father, transformed, having entered into the waters of your word. So we give you in advance glory, honor, and praise for salvation, rededication, and those that will join this church. We give you glory, honor, and praise for it again in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to high-five your neighbor and say, glad to see you this morning. Take your seat. Happens. You have to be committed through the storm and the rain and the heartache and the pain and the disappointment or you're not going to make it. It's a commitment. It's not a feeling. While they was golfing, I was studying. While they was shooting hoops, I was studying. While they was playing games and sitting up and eating and joking in the restaurant, I was studying. You can't get out of something, something that you're not willing to put into it. You have to put your everything, your everything, your mind, your energy, your effort, your discipline, your tenacity. Nothing is going to jump out the fire if you don't throw something in there. It's not going to happen. But if we fight every day, one of them days is going to be my day. You put something in every day. You're diligent every day. 
You line up with commitment every day. One day going to be your day. And it's just not that day, but it's the next day, the next day, the next day, and the next day. Praise God. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, Committed, Part 2. The foundation scripture is found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, the message. If you're following along, I invite you to do so on our Version Bible app. Go to uh, Version, pull the app down, go to the events page. From events, click Linked Up Church, and the notes are right there. And I want you to follow along because I believe that the Holy Spirit really wants, I mean, every time there's a message that goes forth, he really wants you to get it, but I really, I want you to get it. How about that? Praise God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 in the message, it says, this is Paul speaking, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. See, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, and if you have something different in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision and you will see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Paul is admonishing the believers in Philippi who's going through a hard time. Listen, you've come too far to turn back now. We're talking about the biblical attitudes of successful people. I said last week that we're talking about biblical attitudes of successful people. There are many of people that are successful, but they're not Christians. But that does not mean that they did not exercise biblical attitudes and principles. So this is, there are laws on the earth that govern what success is and how to get it. There's laws on the earth. God pre-programmed this earth to respond to certain behaviors. It's in the earth. It's in the earth. And so these are some of the things that Holy Spirit gave me to share with you as far as biblical attitudes of successful people. Now, last week we started out talking about, you know, how most of us have goals and and, and we really want to achieve those goals, but for some reason, they seem to evade us. So for some reason, we lack luster. January 1st is a reminder every single year of goals and those that don't make it. Am I the only one? I mean, I'm ambitious, but I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And by January 15th, I'm like, repenting. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The common thread with most people humanity, in fact, is this ability to stay committed, consistency. So we started last week talking about some of the attitudes of success, biblical attitudes of successful people, and number one was, what are your goals and who are you doing it for? What are your goals and who are you doing it for? Knowing that believer, saint, called out one, peculiar one, royal priesthood, that what you do for Christ is what will last. What you do for Christ is what will last. I don't care if you want to lose 20 pounds. Lose 20 pounds for you and the Lord because his promise is that you will live long in the earth and see the fullness of his salvation. You get it? Even if it's to uh, make it to uh, CTO in your organization, CEO, CFO, whatever the case may be, ABC, XYZ. If you're doing it in the Lord and of the Lord and that's your purpose and your calling, you will get there, and you, it's not about being the 
top dog in command as much as it is being an influence in the life to many people that would otherwise not get to see it. Number two, are you interested or are you committed? Are you interested or are you committed? All too often, we're interested. It's a nice idea. It's good, but we're not committed. Even in the serious things of life, many of people are interested in marriage. They're interested, might even love the individual, but they're not committed to marriage. You know, they start saying things like, I didn't sign up for all this. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Marriage is work, but the reward far outweighs the work. Number three, lose the weight. Lose the weight. I'm not talking about 20, 30, 40 pounds. I'm talking about 20, 30, 40 issues. Whether it's our own issues, the word of God is a mirror, and it'll show you. I mean, you know, the word of God is for us first. He tells us to look into the mirror of the word, and if we're sit praying about that first, he'll show us what we need to purge. He'll show us how we need to grow. He'll show us what we need to change. But then also, sometimes some of us need to lose the weight of other people. Losing the weight of other people is just as important as losing the weight of your own issues, baggage, and tendencies. You know, I made a comment earlier that, you know, yes, when you grow and when you change and when you advance, yes, you change. You're not the same person. Yeah, you're brand new. And people, a lot of people don't want to see that. So sometimes, unless they're on the road with you, you got to let them go. Bye-bye, Felicia. <laughs> if your name is Felicia, I love you. So now we're going to pick up with number four. Number four, talking about biblical attitudes of successful people. Something every day is better than nothing all day. Number four, something every day is better than nothing all day. Oftentimes, we have these vain, glorious, illustrious goals and ambitions. I'm going to wake up at 530 in the morning. I'm going to put on my, I'm, some of us even go to bed with our gym clothes on. I'm going to make it to the gym by 6 o'clock. 5.30 come, nine-minute snooze. Who made snooze nine minutes anyway? <laughs> Six o'clock come, nine-minute snooze. We keep snoozing until we late for work. But how many of you know once you get to work sometimes or during lunchtime, it's better to just park at the end of the parking lot, walk, take the long route to the, to the door, and perhaps take the stairs up to the office. That is better than nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, in the Amplified, Solomon is quoted as saying, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither is bread to the wise, nor riches to men of intelligence and understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. In other words, I love it what one translation says, but opportunity and seasons happens to us all. The reward is not always given to the one that's fast or the one that's smart or the one that's intelligent or the one that's of great understanding or the one that's just seemingly the most influential. We all have opportunities to thrive and flourish. But we have to take advantage of what we can do and not be so focused on what we didn't or can't do. 
So five minutes of prayer in the afternoon is better than a well-intended 15 minutes of missed prayer. Right? Someone told me a long time ago, the smallest deed is better than the greatest intention any day. You might have, sir, wanted to buy her that big bouquet of flowers and have it delivered to her office to impress all her friends. And you just forgot to make that call. But you know what? A text that says, baby, you are on my mind, and I love you, and I thank you for being in my life, will rock her world. And later on that day, maybe even yours. Number five. That's for the married folks, married folks, married folks. Number five, failure does not erase success. Failure does not erase success. I even submit to you that failure can be the building blocks of success. The only thing that erases success is quitting. Is qu that's it. That's the only thing that erases success. I don't care how many times you failed or seemingly failed or made a mistake or the wrong decision. I don't care how much money you lost. It's just a building block to learn something so that you don't do it again. Some of the greatest education is obtained by way of experience, not the classroom. Proverbs chapter 24, then verse 16, it says, For a just man falls seven times and raises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. The interpretation there is that the just man the righteous man, the man that walks in the integrity of his own soul, the man who's committed to the things of God, he will keep going regardless of what happens, regardless of what the enemy throws in his path, regardless of how discouraged he may be. He will pull himself up by the, uh, by the bootstraps. He will tighten up his belt and say, onward marching for a soldier. But he says here, but the evil one will fall into mischief. What does that have to do with the other? See, the evil one will say, okay, well, I have a better plan than God's plan. Maybe it don't take tithing. Maybe it don't take being holy. Maybe I can get a husband if I just give him a little taste. It don't take me showing up early in the morning and being the last one to leave to get that promotion. I'm tired of doing that. So the evil man will fall into mischief because he will try to bypass the process. Not understanding that it's the process that builds character and it's the character that will take him someplace and keep him there. All too often we let our giftings take us places that our character can't keep us in. So, your failure does not erase your success. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what's happened to you. I'm not minimizing if you were a victim of something. I'm not minimizing that. But what I am saying that it does not, it does not erase your potential. Number six, your history does not, define, does, not, does not define you, but it can equip you. Number six, your history does not define you, but it can equip you. You know, we were talking, you know, there's this thing out there that's, you know, well-taught, understandable, and it's real, generational curses. But listen, if you're within the sound of my voice, if you're listening to this by way of recording or whatever, you are hereby charged to reverse the curse. Because I don't care how long that lineage of cursing was in your family, the power of God and one word of God can change everything. 
I don't care what grandmama did, what granddaddy did, what mama did, what great grand. I don't. I don't care. It does not. It is not more powerful than the word of God. And it takes you thinking differently. You have because you will find yourself functioning in the way of the curse because you haven't adopted the behavior and the commitment of thinking differently. So yes, you will act and think contrary to what the family is typically used to. So when they say, "Oh, we don't do it that way." Sometimes your response needs to be, you know what, then it's time for a change. And watch God use you to ride that tidal wave of change in that family and set a new standard. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, in the Passion Translation, Jesus talks to the guy who wants to follow Jesus, but he says, but hold up, Jesus, wait, pause on that, because I got to go take care of some family business. And Jesus says to him, why do you keep looking backwards to your past and have second thoughts about following me? When you turn back, you are useless to God's kingdom realm. Yeah, God has brought us a mighty long way. And when we think about what should have been, what could have been, what would have been, praise the Lord. But that's not where the story ends. Our testimonies are powerful. Yes, they are, but that's not where the story ends. Amen? Your history does not define you, but it can equip you. There's a woman on the news not too long ago, talk, uh, she leads this coalition to help women who suffered sexual victimization who've been raped in the military because she was raped while serving over in another country. And she said, that could have broke me. But she instead start, started a foundation that will help uh, equip women to be not only receive healing that's been victimized, but also how to identify and, and, and predatory behavior and help them report misuse of power. She used what the enemy meant for evil. She allowed God to turn it to her good after she had been gang raped in the military. Okay? So... Again, not minimizing what you've been through, but whatever you've been through, let it equip you to empower others. Amen. Number seven, delayed gratification leads to greater satisfaction. Delayed gratification leads to greater satisfaction. You know, that statement is a whole message all by itself. Because we are living in a generation where everything is accessible within five to ten seconds. We can even eat within one and a half, 90 seconds if we really wanted to. How many of you sat at the microwave while warming up your food like, doggone, I got 42 more seconds to go? <laughs> and I come from the day and age where you had to preheat the oven, seal yourself up in some aluminum foil, set it on a glass dish, so the glass gets hot, the foil gets hot, the steam creates it, and you, I mean, you, you, you got to think about what you're going to eat an hour ahead of time because it might take about 30 to 45 minutes to warm up your food. But that, that, that's, not, that's not the deal anymore. I come from the day and, day and time where you, you want to get a message to somebody. You better go on to Western Union and do a telegraph. We wasn't no three-minute text, and we looking at the phone every two seconds, wondering if they responded or not. Information, now we can access it 
like that. Anything you want to know and don't need to know, you can access it like that. Delayed gratification leads to greater satisfaction, but that's not the will of God. It's a matter of convenience, praise the Lord, but it's not the will of God when we're talking about achieving our goals and moving forward in the things of God. I talk often about priorities versus balance. Oftentimes, we're trying to balance everything, not excelling in anything. But what we have to do is determine for that day, what are our priorities? What's important in this day? And what's important in this day might not be important in the next day. But as long as you're assessing your priorities and you're chasing after those with excellence, will you arrive at that place of, oh, I got it. Sometimes we just can't balance everything that's at hand, especially you mothers and wives. You, 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 you can't. So we get, our, you get frustrated, all bent out of shape because we missed out on something in the effort of balancing and wonder why it failed. It failed because we only gave it 10 minutes when it really was a priority and required an hour. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 in the Passion. It says, isn't it obvious, this is Paul speaking, this is so good. Isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win, but only one receives the victor's prize? Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers. But we run our race to win a crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't just run for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue this body and I get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. We're all in a race, y'all. And the, and the end game is not that degree. The end game is not that position. The end game is not that bank statement. The end game is not even uh, 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 minus 30 pounds. The end game is a crown that's given to you when you sit before the throne and, and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The end game is all that you did for his name's sake that glorified him and brought many other people with you. See, there's only one thing you can take to heaven. One. Your cars will diminish in rust. Your bank account will be spent up. Your jewelry will be worn by somebody else. Your house will be sold. Only one thing you can take to heaven, and that's the person that's sitting next to you. That's your neighbor on the other side of your cubicle. That's your family members that you can't stand. That's the only thing you can take to you with you is your sisters and brothers in, in this earth. So in talking about running this race and delayed gratification, sometimes our goals and our successes are only uh, instruments used to beckon more people to, uh, to our influence as we use it to influence them towards God. Now, you know, talking about diving into the deep end. We're about to dive into the deep end a little bit today. Would you like to? We're not doing the snake. We're diving. You know, I, I, I was a swimmer. I still swim quite a bit. High school, a little bit of college. And, you know, when you dive into the water, you, you take the approach, you take your stance, whatever that stance would be. The regulation then came later on that you can't dive too, too deep. You have to break surface at the certain line. Because if you kept going deep and you stayed deep, you gained an advantage. They didn't want you to gain an advantage because, you know, when you're going between the water and the air, you have to work a little bit harder. So they made it so you broke surface at a certain point. 
But in the things of God, see, when you dive in deep, there's no referee to tell you that you didn't break surface. So you always gain the advantage. Amen? Just like in swimming. So listen, there's this thing, this term, that religious circles and psychological and social circuits, circuits, circles use to define humanity and, and the certain behavior about humanity. And it, they describe an aspect of humanity as hedonist. Hedonist. And this is defined as a person who believes that the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing in life. It's a pleasure seeker. If we rewind back to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, when the spirit, soul, and body, when the will of man was elevated above the, his spirit, what came into play was a very, uh, a very noticeable and sometimes insatiable appetite of the flesh. So an, a hedonist or one who seeks primarily pleasure can also be defined as someone who's carnal. They just want what feels good in the moment, right? No matter what it takes. Now, all of us, have hedonic behavior. We do. All of us want to have fun, right? At some point, all of us want to experience pleasure, right? I'm not just talking about sexual pleasure. I'm just talking about, you know, sometimes chocolate cake is just good. Right? Sometimes the exhilaration of jumping out of an airplane is just great. Some of y'all like, no, no, no. Everyone has some level of hedonistic behavior, but it's when it makes us, when we chase that, is when it's a problem. See, before the fall, God put a chase, he pre-programmed a chase within us. And before the fall, that chase was wired to chase after God. But then when we became tempted and we fell, then the chase became pleasure for many of us, which is why God always instructs us throughout his word to seek him, to be ye thankful, and, and, to, and to rejoice in who he is. See, because the hedon, the hedon, hedonic behavior is, is like this. It's also known as, as the hedonic treadmill. The scientific term, the simple scientific term is hedonic adaptation. That means Though we may experience high highs of happiness and pleasure, and though we may experience low lows of depression and, and, and anger and, and sadness, at some point we end up leveling out anyway. And see, although these goals are great, I said earlier, what you do for Christ is what will last. Because, you know, science shows, let me read this to you. <laughs> I wrote it here. Even if you're chasing nothing, you're chasing something. Lazy people chase comfort, while the workaholic chases reward. All of us want to be happy, but fail to realize that happiness is external and very temporary. Joy is what's permanent, but joy is a decision. Goals make us better, but can we live life continuously chasing goals that only make us happy? Psychologists call this phenomenon hedonic adaptation. The idea is that no matter how good something makes us feel, or for the record, how bad, most of the time we drift back to where we started, emotionally speaking. 
one often cited study famously showed that despite their initial euphoria, lottery winners were hap no happier than non-winners 18 months later. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah, right. But they weren't. They were no happier than non-winners 18 months later. The same tendency to return to baseline has been shown to occur after marriage, voluntary job changes, promotions, and the things the kinds of things that we usually expect to change our happiness and well-being for the better in a permanent way. So when we think things are going to change our lives in a permanent way for happiness, after a while, human behavior tends to shift back to a norm, whatever that may be. So what I am here to do on assignment is to charge you with the responsibility of redefining your norm. Whatever that goal will be, do it for God. Because in that goal is purpose, if you're doing it for God. And in that purpose, he bred passion. And in that passion, there is pleasure. And so when you're doing it that way, when you're doing, when you're losing the weight, when you want to lose the 30 pounds, and you're doing it because I want to live long on the earth and see the fullness of his salvation, now it's a little different. Because you'll get to your 30 pounds, and then what? Which is why people gain it back zero-based goal. I want to get that prom promotion, but you get that promotion, then what? You show up and you find out that you're working with the devil. <laughs> but I want this promotion because I know this promotion will give, gain me greater access to people of influence and I can share the light and lift up Jesus and win them. That's a little different, isn't it? I want to pay off my house, my cars and all my debt. I'm taking financial peace. You pay it off, and you owe no man nothing, but now you're free to love him as you want to. God can trust you with the responsibility of paying somebody else's debt off. It's a little different now, isn't it? Philippians chapter 4. This is why God tells us and charges us over and over again, but he synopsizes it here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 in the Passion, it says, don't be pulled in different directions or worry about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life, when it's good, when it's bad, or when it's indifferent. Then God's wonderful peace will, that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. He says it will transcend your own natural mind. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, memorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. What? Praising him when? Always. Praising him when? Always. How often do you praise him? Always. What's left after always? Follow the example that we have imparted to you, and God, the God of peace, will be with you in all things. He'll be with you in what? In what? He will be with you in all things. When we live a life pleasing unto God, and our hearts, I'm not saying you're going to get it perfect. Nobody is. We miss it all day, every day. But listen, his grace is amply there to make up the gap. Three things, bottom line, three things that Christians should be committed to. Three things Christians should be, should be submitted to. Number one, living for God. 
Number one, living for God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Well, what was he talking about in previous verses? Your shelter, your clothes, your food. All of your basic necessities will be added to you. But he didn't say added to you one time. He'll compound it and compound it and compound it. Because he's all about using, it, using us as a filter to bless others, right? Number two, revelation of his, of his love. Increase in the commit to increasing in the revelation of his love. Dear God, I said it, dear God, God, I dare you to show up. God, I dare you. God, use me. Just let me, I don't care what I look like, just use me. Let me see what it looks like. Help me. Pastor Greg's gonna be talking about uh, gifts of the Spirit. You, you, you will never learn. Everybody want to flow in the prophecy and, uh, and you don't just wake up and that, that's just it. No, you got to step out and sometimes be, a, be willing to look like a fool for him. First John chapter 4 says in 17 and 19, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loves us. And in other words, he's saying that when we are fearful, we don't have a revelation of how much God loves us. See, your mistakes does not define his love for you. Your sin does not define his love for you. Your status and bank account does not. You are not more blessed because you have a great bank account and he loves you more. No. He loves you no matter what. You can do nothing to qualify for his love, and you can do nothing to disqualify yourself from his love. But when we are in fear, we put the thing that we are in fear of at a greater level of power than his love. So I invite you, I provoke you, I implore you to grow in the revelation of his love. When you see that spout there and you want to scream, step on it. I dare you. For those of you that deal with arachnophobia. Number three, expect his promises. Expect his promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. When you are living for him, when you are growing in, his, in understanding and, and, and revelation of his love towards you, you have a right to expect his promises. What he did for somebody else just, just, just might have seemed outlandish. Someone was sharing a testimony about their friend, about how she was just believing God to just pay her mortgage. And she was avoiding her mortgage uh, call, the company calling. Only for her to finally say, you know, let me just talk to him. I can't keep running. To find that she's a giver. That her mortgage had been paid in full. Moni do it. You can expect his promises however he shows up. Listen, the fact that you have breath in your body and you have opportunity to see another day is a fulfillment of his promise. You have another opportunity to make an impact. Finally, we'll land here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14 in the Passion. When our commitment and success is from him, it should be for him and it should be in him primarily for the service of others. Listen, would you be so, so concerned about success if other people didn't see you? In fact, what defines or who, who qualifies your success? The recognition of other people, isn't it? 
if being successful meant having uh, debt, we'd all be running towards debt, wouldn't we? Right now, people have defined success as looking all kinds of ways. Because ultimately, whatever success is, it's meant to impact others. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, the Passion says, and this is what it all boils down to, Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm, basically doing what you want to do and getting what you need to get. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all that we do. For love completes the laws of God. All of the law can be summarized in one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. This is why Linked Up Church is so passionate about connecting people to God. Because in connecting people to God, then we can connect you to family. Whether it's church family or your family. And in connecting you into family, now we get, we get a chance to garner and, and harvest that purpose. And when we harvest that purpose, now we can use that purpose. You can use that purpose to further impact your community. Because the minute you think that your goals and your success is all about you, you are sadly mistaken. Everything that you do and everything that you're about, whether you have an audience or you don't think you are, somebody's watching you. And in the spirit realm, somebody is counting on you to be successful. Because they've deemed you influential in your life. Do you know you don't get a chance to say who you want to influence? Each of you have something to impart. Each of you have something to share. Each of you have something to, 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 to help mentor and grow somebody else. So we encourage you to get involved with community. See, I don't want nobody all up in my business. You ain't got no business if it's... When you are a part of small groups, when you are intentional about being ministered to and being ministered to others, when you are serving in dream teams, you're not only sowing seeds, but you're making impact. person over there had a t-shirt on that says legendary. What is your legend going to be about? When it's all said and done, and your loved ones are preparing your obituary, what will they talk about? I haven't attended one homegoing service yet where they talked about that person's net worth. I haven't gone to one, read one obituary yet about how many companies they owned and how many stocks they exchanged. Very few even, I, don't, I can't recall one in my mind to say what they retired, what their position was and their salary earnings was when they retired. How many cars they owned. But they talk about the loved ones that they left behind the impacts that they had in their community, the influence that they made with those among them. That's your cornerstone. That's who Jesus was, and that's who he empowered you to be. You are not an island to yourself. You have something to share. You have something to impart. So I encourage you to take on that responsibility. Own it. Be committed first to who you are in Christ and who he is in you. And your goals will take care of themselves.
goals? Who are you doing them for? Are you interested or are you committed? What weight are you willing to lose? What is your something every day that's better than nothing all day? Hmm? What failures will you use to impact other people to overcome theirs? What can you use from your history that will equip you to make an impact on others for their future? What gratification will you delay today so that you can reap a greater harvest tomorrow and save many a people alive? What will you do? What will you do? Marked August the 25th, 2019, 12.06 p.m. as your charge and ask yourself, what will I do? Amen. And whatever it is, be 